Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. The Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Remember in your Bible that there are several sections. You start off with the books of Deuteronomy or the books of law, which would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we come to a section of 12 books called the historical books, starting with the book of Joshua. It goes... Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd uh, Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Then you come to Ezra and Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 8. With this, we are starting a brand new theme for this year, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And with this, we want to understand more about this statement and how that applies to us. And so remember that we never just take a statement out of context and use it however we want. If you want to understand what a phrase means, what a statement, what a verse is, you need to study its context. What is the context that that verse was used in? Well, if we want to understand where the joy of the Lord comes from so that the joy of the Lord could be our strength, we have to look at the context of Scripture to understand what was it that was going on that prompted the inspiration of Scripture for this statement. So notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Nehemiah chapter number 8. The book of Nehemiah chapter number 8, and notice with me in verse number 1. Nehemiah chapter 8, and notice with me in verse number 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning unto midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, and Shimeah, and Ananiah, and Urijah, and Helkanah, and Messiah, and the right hand, or on his right hand, and on his left hand, Padeah, and Mishiel, and Malachah, and Hashim, and Heshabadimna, and Zechariah, and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all people, for he was above all the people. And when he had opened it, the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen! Amen! With lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads, and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, and Benaiah, and Sherbarite, yeah, and Jamin, and Achab, and Shabbatiah, and Holdijah, and Masiah, and Kelita, 
and Azariah, and Josabad, and Hanan, and Pelinah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites taught the people and said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them of whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. And on the second day they gathered together the chief of the fathers of the people, the priest and the scribes, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses, and the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth and, br and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in the courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all of the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto the day not had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Also day by day from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark the phrase that is the theme of our church this year, the book of number, uh, the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, and notice the phrase, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. A God who's so worthy to be worshipped. You're worthy of our glory and our honor, for our praise, for our obedience, for us looking to you, trusting in you. You are that great God. I'm asking that you would help us to understand this even more. Help us so that we, we could impart it and imply this part of our life. That we could understand no matter what happens to us, the joy of the Lord is our strength, that we would learn what it means to trust in you, depend upon you, that we would understand where this joy comes from so that way we can apply it a part of our lives. Thank you again and just help me, fill me with your spirit that you can make it understandable to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is 
your strength. Now with this, we need to define terms. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not happiness. You know, some people mix that definition. And so they say, you need to have joy. And they have the expectation that Christians are supposed to go with a fake smile when they're going through all kinds of horrible things within their life. No, that's not it at all. God doesn't want us to fake anything. He doesn't want us to put on a happy face when everything is just miserable and stuff. So what's this joy that we're talking about? The joy of the Lord is a peace that passeth all understanding. It's a peace that we have that God is in control. This peace of God from the peace from God. We're so thankful that God can give us a peace, this joy, this settled, this idea that we're established, this idea that things are not topsy-turvy inside of us when things are topsy-turvy outside of us. It's this joy. And by the way, this peace does lead to mirth and rejoicing. That's why you'll often find rejoicing along with joy. That because I know who God is, I can still rejoice in God's character when everything else has fallen apart. No matter what happens, God is still good and God is still right. I can rejoice in who God is when things inside of my life are not going well. I can still have a peace that God is still in control when everything else is out of control. Joy is not happiness, it is a peace from God that passeth all understanding. And this joy, this peace, leads to rejoicing because we're rejoicing in Him. It's delighting in the mind of who God is. When we're rejoicing, we're delighting in our mind. We're recognizing who God is, acknowledging that God is control. And when we know more of God, we have more to rejoice in Him. To know more about his character. More about who God is. As we rejoice in him. Our trust is in him. And as our trust is in him. We receive the strength we need. You see it's all compared. To who God is. And do we trust him. So when we talk about the joy of the Lord. Is our strength. What we're speaking about is strength that comes because we're trusting in God. A strength that comes because we know who God is. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So if this is true, where do we get the joy of the Lord from? Where do we get this knowledge of God? Where is it that we can get this information that we could draw our strength from in whom God is? Well, where do we get this joy? We do not know of God from any other source but his word. Remember the whole purpose of the Bible. And if you have never written this statement down, please write this down. The whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. That is the whole purpose of the Bible. This is not a book about David. It's not a book about Moses. It's not a book about Paul. It is a book about God. And every bit of it is made for the purpose of unveiling, revealing, showing us who God is. And so if the joy of the Lord comes from our knowledge of God, 
then where do we get the knowledge of God? The only source is from his word. This is where we learn about who God is. Therefore, our joy is directly from this book. And to show it to you, we're going to hit the context of here. What is happening in the book of Nehemiah is the children of Israel had been taken captive from Jerusalem and from their homes. The, the city had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. The people had been kidnapped from their homes and been transported thousands of miles away all throughout the Babylonian Empire. At the end of the 70 years, God had allowed the Hebrew people to go back under the decree of Cyrus, the first emperor of the Persian Empire, and he allowed the people to come home. Well, when they came home, all they found was a scrap heap. It was all destroyed. And so under the work of Zerubbabel, they labored and they went ahead and built a foundation for the temple. Now Solomon's temple was something to behold. Solomon's temple was a huge architecture wonder. It was considered one of the ancient wonders of the ancient world. They had built it on top of the hills of Jerusalem and then they had coated it with gold. And the purpose of it was so that way people could uh, walk to Jerusalem, they would see the glint of the gold up in the distance and it would remind them of the glory of God. Well, as the people had come back, Solomon's temples destroyed and there's no way they could ever build the temple to be just as good as what Solomon had done. And so they had built the foundation and then discouragement hit. Opposition hit. Uh, people uh, from outside sources tried to keep them from serving God and building God's house. And so the foundation laid bare for 15 years. Until God prompted two preachers by the name of Haggai and Zechariah to preach to the people. And the people got stirred up and they began to obey God again. And God began to bless them. And they finally built the temple. But they still had a problem. They had a temple, but they had no walls to protect them. Now you say, well, I live in a city that doesn't have walls. Well, in the ancient world, walls were a big deal. Because back then you had wild animals. You had lions that were great killers. And if they could wander through the street freely, they could take anybody they wanted. You would have bandits and robbers who would come in the city in the middle of the night and would take whatever they want and people wouldn't know about it. And then if an enemy force decided to come, the walls were your protection to keep the enemy out. The enemy could come in at will. And so in, for, in order for them to be able to serve God in a world, in a region that everyone hated God, they needed the walls to be built. And so under Nehemiah's uh, authority, under the uh, Persian Empire, the walls were finally built. And a great found, uh, uh, effort it was in 52 days, walls around the entire city were built. Now as the walls are, are established, the temple has been built. Now they want to dedicate this time to the Lord and want to dedicate the people to continue to follow after God. And so how did they do this? What was the process to encourage the people to follow after God even in hard times? Preaching. 
opening up the Bible. And through this, we understand the, the principles of biblical preaching. What is biblical preaching? We know that there's a difference between preaching and Bible preaching. Preaching in its basic definition is just uh, giving a message for the purpose of decision. If I am teaching, that's different than preaching. If I'm teaching, I'm just giving religious information. Preaching is always for the purpose of bringing person to a decision. All right? So I should have elements of teaching within my preaching, but the purpose of my preaching is for you to make a decision. That's preaching. Now, Bible preaching is different than just regular preaching. Preaching is just giving a message for the purpose of making a decision. Bible preaching is using the Word of God and using the Word of God to bring people to a decision. And in order for it to be Bible preaching, now, there's a lot of preachers who will open up a Bible, read a verse, close the Bible, and preach on whatever they want. That's preaching. And by the way, there is some good preaching. But the preaching that's going to give us the joy of the Lord, tell us more about God, is going to be biblical preaching. What is the elements of biblical preaching? What is the difference between biblical preaching and what other people do? Well, in order for it to be biblical preaching, there's three parts. You read the text, you explain the text, and you apply the text. That's simple. What, what does that mean? I take the Bible and I read what the Bible says. Then I explain what the Bible says. And then we bring you to the place, because of this Bible text, what decision should you make in your life? You apply the text. Make sense? And we see that in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. as That's going to be our outline for this. That we're going to see that he read, read the text. He explained the text. And he applied the text. All of this for the purpose of getting them to the place where they're looking at God. And as they're looking at God, the joy of the Lord is their strength. It is the word of God that brings us to our knowledge of God. With our knowledge of God, we get uh, the joy of the Lord. Remember the book of Hebrews, or the book of Romans in the New Testament explains it this way in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's the word of God. As God tells us more about himself, we trust God more. We look to him by faith. But that only comes by the word of God. And the type of preaching that tells us more about who God is, is biblical preaching. Let me show you this in the text. The first thing I'd like to show you with this is he read the text. He read the text. Notice with me in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded to Israel. Now what he is bringing up is he's bringing up Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's bringing this up to explain to the people what the Bible said. And so you thought that me reading one chapter was long. Can you imagine spending this time reading these first five books of the Bible? And by the way, that's exactly what they did. Let me show you. Verse number two. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Let's cover verse number two. Who is the audience here? Who was the people that were there? Well, you had men, you had women, and you had all that could hear with understanding. 
Those are little kids. Do you know little kids can understand? And so they didn't usher them off somewhere else to go play football while the adults were in church. They let them be involved in the church service. So they could hear the word of God for themselves. So they can begin to pick this up. And they could get a sense. Because God can speak to kids just as well as he can with adults. And children need to know for themselves who God is. And so here you had Ezra come up. And he takes the word of God. And he reads the word of God. And who's there to hear the word of God? Men. Women and all of those of the age of understanding. Now we know that a two-year-old doesn't have understanding. That's why we have nurseries. But kids are able to understand. If they're able to go to school, they're able to understand the word of God. We teach them. We train them how to listen. So that with the expectation that God can speak to them. Just as well as he can to adults. Notice in verse 3. And he read. So notice what he did first. He read the text. He read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until the midday. By the way, this was just reading the Bible. So from morning to midday, he said, please take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the book of Genesis. And as they went through the Genesis, they went through Exodus. They went through Exodus. They went through Numbers or Leviticus. As they went through Leviticus, they went to Numbers. As they finished Numbers, they went to Deuteronomy. And he had the people listening. You said, man, that's a long time. Well, what happened is that they wanted to hear God's word. It was nothing for them to listen from morning to midday. To listen to the word of God just be read. He read the text. That's all he did at this point. He read the text. You know, some of the most important things that happen inside of the message is when we open up the Bible and we read the text. And as you read the text, as the preacher reads it out loud, because we believe in what is called the sufficiency of Scripture. God's word is enough. God never promised to bless my preaching, but he promised to bless his word. And so the more of the word of God that's in there, the more power we can expect that message to have. Because it is God's word that matters. And if God's word is let loose, God's word can do its own work. And so to read the text, to read the very words of scripture, this is why we don't take one verse and close it. Because the most important thing is to let God's word do its own work. God is already preparing and working. Let God's word do its own work. Notice in verse 3 again. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning unto midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. So once again, we have the audience. Who's there from morning to midday? Men, women, and all that can understand. That includes children. They were there listening to the word of God. But notice this. And all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. You understand, there's an expectation for a pastor to be spirit-filled. That's just expected. The preacher should be spirit-filled. He should be dead to self, dependent upon God and his spirit. But you know, as much of a responsibility as I have to be a spirit-filled preacher, you have to be a spirit-filled listener. Meaning that you should be expecting God to speak to you. And if he doesn't, you're going to be disappointed. There should be an expectation 
God, I want to hear from you today. I want you to speak to me. I want you to show up. There should be an expectation and an attentiveness there. I'm expecting to hear from the Lord today. And the people were attentive. Again, it's always fun. One of these days, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put cameras up. So you could see your own faces and what it's looked like when I preach. And, you know, it's always good when the people are smiling at me. But you always got the people who are, the people who look like their head's going to fall off. You got the people who are hiding the phone underneath the pew. It's always amazing to see the things that are going on. But your responsibility is to be attentive. To be expecting to hear from God. And that's a preparation that you have before you even come in here. Before you even walk in the building, there should be an expectation. You know, it is your responsibility to expect to be fed. The people were attentive. So we could see this first part is he read the text. It's all that's happened now is he read the text. And we see men were there. Women were there. The children were there. He read from morning to midday and they were all attentive. There was an expectingness. Not only did he read the text, but he explained the text. He explained the text. Notice as we pick it up in verse number 5. In verse number 4, it talked about Ezra stood at a pulpit of wood and then gave all the people that sat with him. So if you ever are looking for a good boy's name, here's a list for you. But starting at verse number 5, we can see this next part. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people. By the way, that's important. You should be able to see where I'm getting my information from. I should be getting it from the book. And he opened up the book in the sight of the people, for he was above the people. This carries the idea that he wasn't above them in stature or whatever else. They put him in a platform where the people can see him clearly. I'm reading from the Bible and I'm explaining from the word of God. They could all see him. And Ezra opened up the book of the sight of the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Now, we don't have this practice here. Some churches will say, open it up for the reading of the Bible. But if you would notice here, they, re they stood for the whole service. And so, we just don't have you go through that. But maybe I should have a session where I sit down and you guys stand up the whole service. Well, anyways, good. So, Ezra stood up and he was trying to make it clear so people could see... Um, him reading from the Bible. Then verse number six, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. So he prayed, he blessed the Lord and the great God. And by the way, we talked about the great God the other day, didn't we? That this is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of Gods. He blessed, this is that great God. He's the God above everyone. That's the God we're depending upon. And all the people answered, amen, amen. By the word, the word amen means I agree. And you should get in the habit of amening your preacher. There should be things that you agree with. Amen. Amen. You say, well, what good does that do? Well, first of all, it does you a lot of good. It helps the preacher if he thinks people are agreeing with him. But then there's always people who disagree with the preacher. And if you say amen and you let them know that you agree with the preacher, then they have to rethink what they're at. People should be agreeing. Amen. Amen. And they lifted up their hands. You shouldn't be afraid of that. In the south we got the hanky. You got the old lady who keeps the hanky inside of her watch. And waves out. Amen preacher. Amen. There's nothing wrong with waving the hanky. 
And then notice this. They bowed their heads and worshiped God with their faces to the ground. So as God spoke to them, they responded in worship to him. God, you're right and I'm wrong. And they bowed themselves. We, we carry that through with an altar. But here we could see this. Verse number 7, once again, we have this big list of names. But notice the end of it. It talks about these. And the Levites caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law distinctly and gave the sense causing them to understand the reading. So the first thing they did was they read the text. Now what they did is they explained the text. They, ex they read from the Bible distinctly. That means they enunciated it. They made it clear where I'm at. People could follow along. Then they explained the text. They caused the people to get the sense. What does the Bible say? What are we seeing from here? We're explaining the Bible. And by the way, because there was a lot of people, they had other people that were helping them out. Do you understand what he was saying? Let me show you. And they were explaining the text. And they caused the people to understand the reading. By the way, if you don't understand what you read, if there's a church service, and there are church services, different churches that do that, where they do some type of thing. They may even read the Bible in Latin. They may do something, and people say, I have no clue what's going on. That doesn't help you out at all. You need to know what the Bible says. By the way, the preacher should be able to explain the words in such a fashion that everybody understands. Putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. Any preacher could use big theological terms and everybody goes, wow, how smart is he? I don't know what he's saying, but man, he sounds smart. That does you no good. We should be able to explain what the Bible said in a clear way so even children can understand it. So this is why we tell people that when we say a term, we explain it. Even when we use the word salvation. Don't just say, well, we believe in salvation. Explain what you mean. I believe that people need to get saved. I believe that people need to recognize that they're a sinner. And because of their sins that they offended a holy, righteous God. But Jesus was their only way. And they must personally accept Christ to be their savior. So therefore you understand what I mean by salvation. There are so many religions out there, Christian religions, that use the same terms that you and I use, but they mean something different by it. We need to explain our terms. What do I mean about this? So that way you have an understanding what the Bible says. It's not good enough just for the preacher to understand it. You need to understand it for yourself. So they read the text and they explained the text. After that, we have they applied the text. They applied the text. Notice with me in verse number 9. So in the early part, they read the Bible. And they read it from morning to night. And they had men there. They had women there. They had children there. So they could understand the law. They read the Bible. Then after they read the Bible, they took time to go through the word of God distinctly and explain the text to people. To so they could make, give the sense. So the people could understand what the Bible said. Then they applied the text. So because the word of God was giving out. There should be decisions that are made. They should be applied. Notice as we see the people applied. They made decisions. There was a response 
to the preaching of God's word. Notice with me in verse number 9. And Nehemiah, which is the Tersheroth, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites taught the people, and said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the Lord. Which, the first thing that we see here as they applied the word of God is the people wept. Why did they weep? Because they're repenting. They're turning towards the Lord. Repent means a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. As God's word went out, the people said, I agree with God. I messed up. I need to go back to God. And so they wept. There should be tears at the altar. There should be a brokenness. That's something that we're missing in today's Christianity is a brokenness before God. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be a crybaby and cry every time. But there should be a time that we are broken of our sins. I messed up. I need to get right with God. God will take me back. Thank you, Lord. But there should be a brokenness. And the people wept because they heard God's word. And it showed them who they were. It showed them what needed to be fixed. Notice as we go to verse 10. And he said unto them, Go your way, and eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send the portions unto them, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, we've been talking about this, this phrase for a while leading up to this year. Where, what is the context of this? The context of the joy of the Lord is your strength is in the application of the message. How they're responding to the message. Because of the preaching of God's word. Because we read the text and we explained the text. And now you are responding the to the text. The joy of the Lord shall be your strength. We understand we just sang the song. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey. Now as we respond to God. We can expect God to do his part. As we turn to him, as we say, yes, you're the boss, you're God, you tell me what to do, I'll say yes to you, that we can expect God to take care of us, expect God to do his part, expect God to be our God. We can have the peace, the settlement. I'm as right with God as I possibly know how to be. I'm not perfect, but I'm as right with God as I possibly could. I can expect God to guide me, God to protect me, God to work in my life. This is in the part of them responding to God's word and Nehemiah giving them the encouragement because you're responding well, because you're applying the Bible, because you're making a decision, the joy of the Lord shall be your strength as they respond to God. He's saying, don't weep, don't be sorry. Let me tell you, you can have joy and you can have strength because you're responding to him. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The Bible says in Psalm 130 verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait and his word do I hope? That's Psalm 130 verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in his word I do or do I hope. Where does the psalmist say he got his hope from? The word of God. That as the word of God spoke to him, he responds to it. And he has hope. He's trusting that God is going to do. He has strength. He's able to wait on God. By the way, waiting in God is the ultimate form of worship. When you're able to wait for God, that means you trust him. Why do I trust him? 
because I trust his word. This is what God said, and I could trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. I could depend upon him. I could trust in him. Notice as it goes on. Um, notice as we go to uh, verse number 12. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and sin portions and to make great mirth. Why? Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Why is it that they could celebrate? Why is it they were able to move forward? Why was it? Because they understood the word of the Lord. What a wonderful thing. As we see, they're so important to apply the word. It's not enough for me to read the Bible and explain the Bible, but there has to be an application. And as people apply the word of God, they're going to have more strength. They're going to be able to move forward. That The Bible here very clearly says they were to do all of these things to make great mirth. Why? Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. What a wonderful thing. Now, in verses 14 through 17, as they apply it, this doesn't apply to us as much as we're seeing what's happening. Um, the Bible had talked about that the people needed to build booths um, for this time of feasting, this time of honoring God. Now, what in the world's a booth? A booth was a temporary house made out of tree leaves. And it was something they were supposed to build during this uh, time of feasting to remind them of, a, of the wilderness wanderings. Uh, if you built a house out of leaves, you could not live there for 10 years, right? I mean, some of you are having a trouble with your brick and mortar. All right, so the leaves won't last long. They were to be a reminder that this was a temporary dwelling, that God had brought us through the wilderness, and it was something that God had placed in the law to remind them. You know, complacency, we start to take things for granted, right? If you've been in your house for a while, you may get to the place where you're not as thankful for it as you used to be. You take it for granted. You've had a car for a while. And now you get mad at the car instead of being thankful that you even have a car. It's a stupid car. Just What happens is that we take it for granted. Well, God had set up this principle that they were to be in, a, in, a, in, a, um, in these booths to remind them that you're in a land that God promised them. Don't take it for granted. And so they built these booths. Basically, they put up little tents all around and they stayed in these tents made out of leaves just as a reminder for this festival, for this feast here that, you know what? God has done so much for me. I should be thankful for the house that I have. Hey, if you go, if you go um, especially right now in this time of year in Wisconsin and you go stay outside in a little tent outside, you'll be thankful for being inside pretty quickly, right? So it was a way for them to be reminded that they should be thankful for all that God has provided. Now, that doesn't apply to us as much as it is that we're seeing that they applied the message. Someone read, hey, the preacher just talked about that we need to be in booths. We haven't done this in years. In fact, the Bible said they hadn't done it all the way till Joshua's day. So Joshua's day was about 1400 B.C. And right now, this is 500 B.C. So 900 years they haven't obeyed this law. And someone said, you know what? Maybe it's time to obey this law. And so what they did is someone heard the Bible. They explained the Bible. They said, let's do this. And they got everyone in the city to follow after this, to obey, and to be thankful for what God has done for them with his promises. 
what we're seeing here is that there was an application that was made. Someone heard the Bible, read, they heard the Bible explain, then they made an application because of what they heard, they responded. And by the way, it encouraged other people to respond. And God makes a big deal. This was something wonderful. And we see that in verses 14 through 17. As we finish this up, notice with me in verse 17. And all the congregation of them were come again out of the captivity, made booths, and sat under the booths since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day, and not all the, uh, had the, not the children of Israel done so. And notice this, and there was very great gladness. Notice, it wasn't just gladness, it was great gladness. And it wasn't just great gladness, it was very great gladness. Why did they have great gladness? Because to trust and obey, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. As they obeyed God, God blessed them. And they had a peace. They knew that they were doing right with God. And even though the rest of the circumstances could be falling apart, they could have very great gladness. They could rejoice. They could have joy. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. As they responded to God's word and to who God is. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Then notice in verse 18. Also day by day, from the first day unto the last, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast of seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the matter. What happened is that the people kept coming back. So the first day, so imagine if you wouldn't mind that we're going to have a different service. I'm going to say, we're going to do something different today. We're going to follow a New Testament passage. So if you don't mind, at nine o'clock in the morning, I want you to show up. So we'll give you to nine. And guess what? We're going to read the Bible. I'm just going to start at the beginning and I'm going to read until noon. I'm not going to give commentary. I'm not going to do anything. And by the way, you're going to stand the whole time. All right, and so we start, and I start from Genesis, and I go through until we get to noon. At noon, I say, amen, you go ahead and do whatever you want, we are good. Maybe I could follow the biblical thing and say, how about this? At noon, now, after I read the Bible from 9 o'clock to noon, now I'm going to preach. Yay. Some of you would already be thinking in your mind how you'd be responding. Then I'm going to preach. And I'm going to preach until 3 o'clock. And at 3 o'clock, I want you to respond to God. And then guess what? Because we want to follow the biblical pattern, we're going to do it again tomorrow. Do you think I would lose part of my audience in a normal American setting? I might even lose some of you for the next day, right? But the people came back. Day after day after day after day. Why? Because when the word of God is taught properly, the people don't mind coming back. They're ready to listen. It's the word of God that matters. Nobody wants to come and hear me give my thoughts and ideas. But when God's word is doing its work, people don't mind coming back. If God's helping someone and, and making decisions and their life is changing because of God's word, they don't mind coming back. Biblical preaching draws people. Fluff gives people just a sugary diabetes and then they go, I could take it or leave it. And if you take it or leave it enough, they'll leave it every time. But I need God's word. 
I need God to preach. I need God to... And so we could see in verse 18, even though it seems to kind of be subtle in here, but it is a big deal. They came back every day. The word of God draws them back. And so all we're seeing here is biblical preaching. What is biblical preaching? You read the text, you explain the text, and you apply the text. That's simple. Read the text, explain the text, and apply the text. But this is so important because the Bible reveals who God is. And as we learn about God and as we respond to him, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So as we go through a year that has much unknown, when we started last year, we thought we had things handled. Many people thought this was going to be the greatest year. You never noticed that no one said that this year? 2021 is going to be the greatest year. Nobody even dares say that because there's so many unknowns. In a few days, there's a lot of unknowns that are, is about to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. But how can we survive with all these unknowns? Through God's word. It's more important for you to be in God's word for yourself. It's going to be more important to be faithful to God's preaching because you need the word of God. You don't need to hear from preacher. You need to hear from God. And as you apply God's word, as you follow God's word, as you allow God to correct you and point out things that you didn't even know was wrong, and as you start getting close to him, you're going to have a joy that comes from following Jesus. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. How are you going to survive a year of unknowns? By God's word and the knowledge of whom he is. And as you know who he is, you could trust him. It's all about God. And the way that you know about God is through his word. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So we read the text and we explained the text. So how do we apply the text? Well, how's your Bible reading? That's where we start off with. Are you systematically reading the Bible for yourself? Are you on purpose reading the Bible, going through the Bible for yourself? If you don't have a systematic way, then you need to start that. That's the first decision you need to make. How are you going to read your Bible this upcoming year? How are you on purpose going to be steady and regular on your purpose? Uh, in the Bible. Remember, that old adage of a chapter a day keeps the Bible, devil away is a lie. You need to saturate yourself with the word of God. You need a purpose to read your Bible. You understand that if you read the Bible 11, 12 minutes a day, you could read it through in a year. That's five chapters a day. If you read 10 chapters a day, you could read your Bible through twice. You know that an average reading speed, it only takes 72 hours to read your Bible. Out of 352 or 356 days of the year, can't you give God 50, or 72 hours, 76 hours? Can't you at least give him that much? Yeah. What's another thing that you need to do as we apply this? You need to be faithful to the house of God. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Make a decision. Why? Not to hear a preacher, but to hear from God. Expect God to come attentive, come on purpose, ready to hear God's word. Let me tell you, if you have World War III in your car and you come up in two wheels, you're not ready to hear God's word. There's a preparation that comes. If you're coming late, 
You're not ready to hear God's word. You're panicking because I'm late. You should be able to come in time. Make preparations. For little kids or parents that have kids, find your kids' clothes and set them out Saturday. Find your shoes because for some reason, shoes always come up missing on Sunday morning. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be practical. I'm trying to help that you come prepared. You come ready to hear from God, ready to respond to God, and you look forward to God speaking to you again and again and again. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Where do we get this joy? From knowing God. And the only place that we know God is from His Word. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.